with prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, you have caused these words to be written so that we would have salvation in your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us this day to receive these words, and may your Holy Spirit write them on our hearts so that we, in true faith, would receive your gifts of forgiveness, life, and salvation. Amen. All right, well... <clears throat> Let's go to Hebrews chapter 8 now. We made it from the mysterious Melchizedek. Um, but we're going to keep sort of revisiting what this has established. Um, so again, sort of the, the overall is, the, in the old days, patriarchs and prophets. Right? Um, so the patriarchs were spoken to by the prophets. Now God speaks to us by his Son. Uh, we hear in, in this particular um, chapter why Jesus is so vital to us, uh, but his high priesthood is shaped by his speaking. So when you come here and you hear the pastor speak, Jesus is being your high priest. He is distributing his gifts to you. And placing them into you. Uh, and it is, it's sort of a unique aspect uh, to humanity. Uh, that God has made us so that uh, we receive uh, the things that we believe by our hearts through our ears. Uh, that's how God has made us. And many times we, we forget this and we think, well, you know, <clears throat> words are cheap and all these other things. But, but words really do define who we are and what we do. Uh, if I was to ask you who you are, you, you can only use words to describe it. Uh, there are uh, actually, uh, they, this is sort of uh, the wonder of language, is that language builds thoughts. Without language, you cannot think. And this is why children need good language so that they can describe their thoughts. Um, they can tell you what they're feeling. They can sort through things in their life. Um, so language is the stuff of your thought, and therefore language also is what God uses to bring you a new identity and a new understanding. Okay, so God's Word, uh, chapter 2 tells us, hold on, pay attention. Uh, chapter 3, it's Jesus who is the one who came for you. Uh, chapter 4, don't miss the promised rest. Chapter 5 is, uh, don't be babies. <laughs> Pay attention to God. Don't think that you have it all figured out and that you don't need to learn anymore. Uh, chapter 6 is uh, meant to make us fearful. Right? So God speaking. He speaks Jesus into us. Now if we ignore it, we will be like a field which receives the rain and yet all that grows are thorns and briars. So that's, that's the consequence of not hearing, not paying attention, is that we will not have life. Uh, but, but he, he uh, doesn't keep it there. He says, but we have better things in mind for you. Um, we are confident of better things concerning you. So then, uh, in chapter 6, we get this big promise. God made a promise to Abraham, and because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. And this promise was Jesus. He's the one who comes. And then in chapter 7, that's when we read of all of the wonders of the priesthood of Melchizedek. Everything Jesus is and does, he does as a high priest for you, uh, and he is the new priest. So all the old now is finished. Uh, and, and we talked about that last time. It's annulled. If you sacrifice a male lamb now, it will do you no good except for to have dinner. Right? It, won't, it won't give you anything. Because um, God's promises are no longer attached to those things. God's promises are attached to Jesus. And Jesus is doing similar to what used to happen. Except for now... The way he's doing it 
is a new covenant. All right, so now we arrive at chapter 8. And we get deeper into who this high priest is. Um, so let's, let's jump in here at verse 1. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. All right, so, so I, I love when Scripture does this because it, it sort of solves every problem you should have. When you read the Bible, God really wants you to understand. So if I was to ask you, where could I find the, just the, the summary thing of Hebrews? Where would I find that? And what would you be able to say after reading this verse? In chapter 8, right? I mean, this is it. He says, now this is the main point of the things we are saying. God is not wanting you to be confused, but he wants you to be clear. God will not leave you in the dark. Um, I, again, I, Scripture is meant to be read by you. Now, I am to apply it to you. That's true. That's my job. As a pastor, I apply God's word to you. And I can help you to find those things that God wishes to speak to you. But there's no contradiction between me being a pastor and you knowing the word of God. That's not a contradiction. I'm not supposed to know a bunch more than you. I'm supposed to apply it to you as God's given minister to you. But you are to have the word of God yourself. And you can have it to its fullness. You don't need me to read God's word. Now, we, of course, have fellowship together, and I am given by God to give this word to you. But you can take this at home, talk with it with brothers and sisters in Christ, and know that it will speak to you clearly. So, I, I just love it when Scripture does things like this. It just tells you straight. This is the main point. Right? Okay, so what is the main point? That we have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected, not man. So the main point is, what? Jesus. Jesus. And, and most specifically, what about Jesus? What's our activity with Jesus in, the, in these verses? Yes, yes, yeah. So that's his identity. So now, where do I come into this? Or where do we? It says we. Where do we come into this? He's our connection with God. Yes, yes, and we have him. That's the verb. We have Jesus. What does it mean to have Jesus? What? Yeah, you... You actually hold on. This is faith. That's the verb of faith. To have it. And of course you don't have him like you have grapes or I have this cup. But you have him by your faith. It holds on to him. And you really do have him. And what a comfort that is. Because who you have is a high priest. Seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Okay, so if you can imagine the throne room, right? God the Father is on the throne. And where is Jesus? Right next to him, right? On his right hand. And, and what, is, what is his function? You already said it, but what is he doing there? What's Jesus' job while he sits next to the Father? He's a priest. Right? So what, now think it, so, so remember too, um, and we're going to get to this in a second. Well, maybe we'll, we'll get down to that first. Uh, but this is the great part about Hebrews is he unpacks this concept of priest. So we'll, we'll dig into that. But yeah, so that's the picture though. God the Father, Jesus next to him, acting as a priest. Okay, so that's what you have. Okay, and now, now uh, the, the author of Hebrews is going to dig into this. Um, okay. Uh, in verse 2, also, keep in mind, sanctuary. What is a sanctuary? Safe place. Safe place, good. A holy place. But, but, but safe is good. Um, and, and that's sort of how we use it in our language, right? Uh, I'm going to take sanctuary. And, but why do, why do we have that idea of sanctuary being a safe place? Yeah, Gary. Because it's a place where God is. 
because it is a public place. It was honored as such. And so therefore, if you were in the sanctuary, you had God's protection. Yeah, it's, yeah. Think of it as what happened to a king when he had the mark. He had to go ah. to these safety cities that they created for people in the sanctuary. Yeah, so God's holiness becomes safety. I, and and I, I didn't really think about that, but you're right. Yeah, there is a safety there. Um, yeah, right, right. Um, although, you know, th there's the old uh, medieval thing, right? If you're a criminal, what could you do? In medieval times? Yeah, sanctuary, right? You go hide in the church, and the church could say, no, no, you can't come in here. He's, he's claiming sanctuary, right? Or something like that. I don't know how that worked. But, um, okay, so yeah, they're, they're, it's the holy place, right? So he's serving... In the holy place uh, and the true tabernacle. So again, the tent which the Lord erected and not man. Okay? Uh, so there is a heavenly sanctuary. God has set it up. It's the true tent uh, where we will dwell with God. And now he's going to describe it. Okay? Um, so, there is a so he is not just the priest sitting at the right hand of God. But now he's ministering. Uh, in the sanctuary of the holy place uh, of the true tabernacle which God has made. <clears throat> so there's a place where we get to go or like Jesus said, I have prepared a room for you and if I have prepared a room for you, I'm going to come and bring you to it. Right? So this is part of that language. There is a location. Okay, uh, let's move on. Verse 3. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. All right, so there's our, there's our answer. What does a priest do? Yeah, what, what, now, why is, what, is it, what is that doing to offer gifts and sacrifices? What's happening when he does that? When he offers the gift of the sacrifice, what's going on? Yeah, yeah, it's part of our redemption. Yeah, so uh, in, in the Old Testament, and again, that's what he's speaking of now. Uh, in the Old Testament, all of those sacrifices were done either as a redemption price for sin uh, or also uh, for thanksgiving. Um, so in order to get this picture, I, I found this brilliant figure. Um, th so this is the relationship between the divine service and the Old and the New Testament. And I've always sort of wanted some summary here. Um, but this is great because it takes it uh, from our Book of Concord. So the Book of Concord is the gathering together of every um, of our Lutheran confessions. So in there, you have the creed. Actually, the three creeds, which are what? What are the three creeds? Yes, Apostles, Nicene, Athanasian. Very good. And then you have the Augsburg Confession. That's the one that's most famous, right? Where Luther goes before the emperor, right? Offers this before the emperor, uh, and the princes say, "Strike off our heads," right? That's that's the that's the famous confession. Uh, okay, that's Augsburg Confession, uh, and then you have the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, uh, which is what Melanchthon wrote after the Augsburg Confession. Okay, so those two documents, uh, and they're really just ex the Augs the Apology explains the Augsburg Confession. Okay, uh, and then you have, of course, the catechisms. There's a small and a large, right? Uh, so we all memorize the small catechism. The large catechism is what it says, right? It's just a bigger version, and it explains it in more detail. Uh, and I would recommend it for anyone uh, who wants to sort of dig deeper into the things of faith. Um, all right, so uh, we have the creeds, we have the Augsburg Confession, the catechisms. Uh, also, we have... Uh, a treatise on the power and primacy of the Pope. Okay, so Melanchthon writes this because the Pope is basically saying, you have no authority because, uh, because I have all authority in, in Christendom. And so Melanchthon was writing to say, God gives the authority, and therefore we can have pastors. Uh, the last two are, are the small called articles. Luther wrote those. Uh, and then the formula of Concord. Okay. These, are the, these are all the things that are present in that Book of Concord. I just wanted to give a short um, you know, explanation. But they're all, every one of those documents was created 
to make a very clear explanation of our faith. So that's really all they are. So the Book of Concord is a collection of an explanation of our faith in time of testing, including the creeds. Um, why, why was the Nicene Creed written? Does anyone know? What? To explain the apostles? <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good way of saying it, to explain the apostles. I, I do think that was part of it, because the Apostles' Creed was before, and it, and it, it couldn't quite explain it how they wanted. Yeah? Uh, I think it was after, actually. Okay. Yeah. But it was, uh, it was written to clarify the need of Christ. Yes, yes. Because at the time, it was called Arianism. Right and, and they denied that Jesus was God. Plain and simple. They just said Jesus is... The... Now, they said he was maybe a God thing. He was very high in the rankings, but he was not God. And that's why you have, in the Nicene Creed, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things are made. That's a huge section on who Jesus is. What? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's what the ortho. Yeah, so there's one word in there, um, being of one substance with the Father. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Um, uh, the proceeds from the Father and the Son. Uh, so the Orthodox Church doesn't do the Nicene Creed because they don't like... We, it is, but they leave off. Right, right. They, they do a different one. But that's another day. That's before the... So the Nicene Creed was a fight. It was created because a, a, we had to confess that Jesus was God in the midst of uh, people saying Jesus is not God. So all these documents there were meant to confess in clarity during a time of testing. Um, so... I'm saying that because uh, the, the, the things here are citing this AP. That's the apology of the Augsburg Confession. Okay? Uh, and so it's the 24th uh, article of the Augsburg Confession. And it's all from that. Okay? Uh, so that 24th article is describing... Um, let me see, I'm trying to think of it here. Oh, the Mass. That's right. Um, okay, so let's, uh, let's dig into this. Uh, now, we're relating the Old Testament with the New and how they relate. Okay? Yeah? Is this from uh, our book? No, this is from... Oh, I should have quoted that. Well, uh, I, I don't know if this is legal. Um, however, uh, I, I don't think I made enough copies for it to be illegal. <laughs> so, this is from uh, John Kleinig, who I, I know, and I'm sure if I asked him, he would be fine with it. Um, <laughs> I don't know about CPH, but I think he'd be fine. Um, so this is from John Kleinig's commentary on Hebrews. So this is John Kleinig on Hebrews. I apologize. I should have put that up there. Okay. Um, but he's just, he's just made a chart. So, All right. So I really want to examine what the picture is of the Old Testament and how it's fulfilled in the New. And this does a great job at doing it. All right. So... Uh, I'm just going to go through the chart real quick, just to give you an idea, because when we hear the when we hear priest, it's sort of hard for us. We don't really we don't have that among us now, right? I mean, we're, we don't have priests. We don't we don't follow those laws. All right, so let's start just at the top. Their correlation. Um, okay, so you're going to hear lots of these words, um, but basically, uh, what it's sign the signification and the thing it signifies. Right? So the type and what the type depicts. That's what we're getting here. Okay? So there's, a, there's a, a thing and a shadow. The thing is what's making the shadow. Right? So for instance, you, when you stand outside, the sun beams on you and it makes a shadow. So that's really what it's saying is uh, this is the shadow. The Old Testament is the shadow. The New Testament is the thing. Um, Okay, so the analogy of an Old Testament ritual practice is now done in the New Testament. So the reason why we don't do the things in the Old Testament is because Jesus filled them all. Um, all right, so the daily service. So that first, the, their correlation, I'm going down to the second uh, box there. The daily service with its offerings. Okay, um, so the things that happen in the daily service are this. Burning the lamb, the drink offering, and the flower offering. 
Uh, so they were shadows. They were symbols, figures, types, analogies. Right? Um, and they were fulfilled by burning the lamb as the death of Jesus. The drink offering is the sprinkling with Christ's blood by the proclamation of the gospel. The flower offering is the confession of faith, prayer, and thanksgiving. Okay, so you notice all those things are happening daily in the temple. So first, the lamb must be sacrificed. But then we receive what happens at the lamb's sacrifice. That's the drink offering. Right? That's how we receive it. And you receive it today. You receive the gospel. That's being sprinkled with the blood of Christ. And then the flower offering is our offering in thanksgiving. So when we sing, when we give our gifts to church, and when we do all things to thank God, that's part of it, that we are, we've received and so we give to God praise. Um, sometimes that's called a praise of uh, you, a Eucharist, a good thanks or a giving thanks. So that's what's happening daily in the temple, and it was fulfilled among us now in the divine service. Okay, uh, there's two classes of offerings in the daily service. So uh, this, is, this is a big part of what we miss if we don't understand the Old Testament. There are two things. One is propitiatory. Okay, so those are, those are offered for sin. So they're a payment for wrong stuff. But there's also a Eucharistic or a giving thanks. And both of those are being offered. And really, we do that today too, right? Sometimes we call it the sacrifice of praise. But that's what we're doing. We're receiving Jesus' payment for our sin, and we're giving thanks for it. Um, and that's as simple as it gets. So, uh, what is the propitiatory sacrifice? Of course, Christ's death. Um, and then the Lord's Supper is how that happens among us now. What's the Eucharistic sacrifice? is the whole service where we're proclaiming, confessing, praying, and giving thanks to God. So sometimes we think, um, and we shouldn't, that our part in the service means nothing. Right? Uh, so when we're going back and forth, well, the pastor's part's the important part, and then the people's part is just you know, what we're saying in church. But that's not true. Even confessing your faith is an offering of thanksgiving to God. And a good and gracious thing that you are doing. Um, so, we, I don't ever want you to forget that, because um, I think sometimes we focus so much on what we receive. That's good. We should. But we do respond. There is a response. You respond to God. And that's part of your service to God. Uh, so, everything you do in church is part of that priestly service. Christ serves you, and you in turn then uh, respond to Christ with thanksgiving. Yeah? It's a good thing um, that Luther did what he did because we were losing that sacrificial act, act uh, attribute of the participation in the congregation because everything was done on the other side of the table. Right. That's right. Yep. Yeah, and even there, even the idea that you can't have the cup, right? The, the people cannot drink of the cup, only the priest. And that's still the case at, at many Catholic churches now. You cannot have the cup. Only the priest can drink from the cup at the Lord's Supper. You only get the bread. And even in the Orthodox Church, especially the high churches, you will see where the people will just stand and the priest and the choir will do the service. Right. But I've seen it in the more modern Greek or like the Syrian and the Orthodox Church where the people do pick up the songs. Yeah. Especially in the Serbian Church. And I find it's so beautiful when the whole congregation sings the words you live. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and so again, what, what we're doing on Sunday, and even when we have our prayer services on Wednesday, is we're actually doing this. This is the glory of all these things, is we are taking place in the divine service every time we gather together. When it says where two or three are gathered together in my name, and I'm among them, that's Jesus as the high priest serving us. And what a wonderful thing it is. Uh, and why we should put that on the biggest pedestal that should be the highest thing that we're able to receive. Okay, so going down. Uh, so those are the classes. What kind of sacrifice is it? Is it one for sin or is it a thanksgiving for forgiveness? So th those are the two kinds. 
Now, what do they do? Okay, so now we're going to the function of the sacrifice. I'm on the, the last one on that first page. Um, so propitiatory sacrifices are for reconciliation. Um, and of course, Jesus' sacrifice is to reconcile us. Okay, so the kind of sacrifice that I'm, that I'm doing in Jesus' place on Sunday is what? What, what? what does the pastor do in the place of Jesus on Sunday or on, or on Wednesday? What kind of sacrifice, what is he doing for you? What is Christ doing for you? Yes, that's one, right? So we know the Lord's Supper is easy, right? I mean, then we're actually receiving Jesus' body and blood for our forgiveness. Yeah. What? what? Absolution. Absolution. Yeah, right. We, I mean, I say in the stead of my the command of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, we get that by the command, but what does it mean to be in the stead of Jesus? In the, I'm saying, in the place of Jesus, I forgive you. So Jesus forgives you. Um, and, and Gary mentioned it too. The preaching that happens on Sunday is, who is preaching to? Jesus is, and what is he delivering? Yes, which now we know from Hebrews, what does it give you? Yes, faith and salvation, right? It's the high priest Jesus putting a lowly man in an office, right? And then saying, you give the people what I did. Now, if I don't do that, I will suffer greatly forever for not fulfilling what Christ told me to do. Um, so it's not my office, and it's not your office, it's Jesus' office that he put among you. Uh, but Jesus is active among you, and he's actually reconciling you each and every time you hear his gospel. Okay, um, and then going to the other place, uh, what is it that you are doing in church? Oh yeah, that's first, right? Yeah, number one is we receive... And then what? Okay, you, yeah, so that's, so at the beginning, your part of the absolution is confessing your sin, right? Um, but then what about the rest of the service? What are you doing in, in the service? Don't think too hard. Yeah, yeah right? You're singing, right? You're, and, and, you know, I think sometimes we forget. Singing is a very joyful activity, Okay. Uh, it, it, it's something that people don't actually do that much anymore. I mean, how often do you, do you sing outside of church? Now, some people love singing, right? In the shower, maybe, or in the car. Um, but it's, it really, it, in America, it's hard because um, we have sort of been told only professionals do that kind of thing, right? Um, professionals sing, you listen. So when you go to a concert... Many times, you're just there to hear someone talk to you or, or speak to you or sing to you. Um, whereas for us, we're actually the ones singing. Right? We're the ones who bring God praise and thanksgiving. Um, now, what's in our songs? What, are, what is the content of our songs? Yeah! Yeah, it's, the, it's scripture. Right? Because if we want to give... If we want to tell God thank you, um, usually, well, let, let's put it this way. When you're writing a thank you card, what's required to put in the card? Yes, thank you first, right? What you're thankful for, right? It's attached so that you say thanks for such and such, right? Thanks for this gift, um, you know, the wonderful cookies, uh, the great company, um, the good time that we had when we went out to eat, uh, the wonderful gift card, whatever it might be, right? Uh, so when you give thanks, you actually include in the thanks why. And that's what we're doing in our song, is it's filled with God's activity. What is God doing among us? And so we say, thank you to God for what he's done. Uh, that's one fault of a lot of uh, contemporary Christian music, 
Um, I don't know if you've heard much on the radio or maybe you listen to it. Um, that's not evil to listen to it. Um, but what's one thing that many times is missing in uh, Christian music today? Jesus. Well, Jesus sometimes is missing, right? And, and sadly, that's the case. Right, right, yeah. Um, so, so they're not listing, they're missing which element of a thank you card? The gift. The gift, right? They're missing the part where they say, thanks for the cookies. And instead, uh, it's all about, well, thanks, I am a really wonderful person. Or, thanks, I really needed that, but they never say why. Right? Um, so now, again, not all contemporary music is evil or bad. Um, but this is one of its flaws. And why it's taken many years to gather together songs that... Because even some great songs are not included in our hymnal. Which is, you know, can be frustrating to some. Um, but why, why do we have a hymnal? Why do we have a hymnal? Remember... <laughs> To remember? Oh, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, because who can remember all those songs, right? I mean, it's hard to, hard to actually call to mind. And some of the songs in there we might not have ever heard before, right? Yeah, Gary. First, it's cultural where the Germans are singing people. And if you're going to sing, you need to have, to have a service in good order so other congregations will have prayer books or missiles mm -hmm. or orders. Yeah, the hymnal has both, doesn't it? It has the orders of prayer, and it even has, by the way, individual prayer services in there. It's a really great resource. It's, it's, it, yeah, yeah, the, the, the new one is... Yeah, yeah, so I encourage you, you know, if you haven't, you know, bring one of the hymnals home and, and use it in your daily devotion. It has even a daily uh, readings in there that you can use. All the psalms are in there. Well, not all of them, but most of them. Um, so, yeah, it's a great book for prayer and singing. Um, but the reason we have it in a book uh, is I, I think one of, one of the most obvious things is uh, I can take this and say, look, I didn't think this up. <laughs> right? I didn't, I didn't think all these things up. This is not from my own head, and it's not my opinion. Um, and you'll notice, too, throughout time, hymnals change. And, and uh, if you look back in the day of Luther's hymnal, uh, what's different about, uh, what would be different about Luther's hymnal versus ours? Music. It's in German, that's true. Um, it was tiny, right? It was itty bitty. How many songs did it have in it? Like, I don't know, eight, ten? Not many, right? Because again, what had happened throughout time was that uh, they, the, the singing was no longer done by the people. It, it was done mainly by choirs uh, or by uh, some of the Latin schools. And so it wasn't done by the people. And so when Luther made his hymn, it was, you know, like this big at one order of service. And, you know, he just started getting it out, right? Um, but now, I mean... That book is big. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how many hymns we have. We're in like the 900s, right? Well, now technically the 700s because they count all the other pages. But, um, but why did we add more through time? Why do we have so many songs now? Inspiration. Yeah. Yeah, we, we went through stuff, right? And, and the best way to go through stuff is many times to put it in poetry. And to encapsulate those times uh, in, in song. I, you know, I, song is one of the easiest ways to get to your heart. It goes straight through. And, you know, and that's why you find yourself, many times, you may not remember a thing, but if there was a tune there, many times you sort of hum the tune, right? Music has a deep and wonderful power with us, and God built that in. Right? Uh, I don't know how many of you are C.S. Lewis fans. Um, anyone read all the Chronicles of Narnia? 
No? Ah, oh, okay. Yes. So, so how, does, how does Aslan make the world? He sings, it. he sings it into existence. It's a song. And I wonder if God was singing. I bet he might have been. I, 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 would, I would put money on that. I, it sounds like it would be something he would do. Uh, but, uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. How do our children learn their alphabet? By copying. Yes, that's right. A, B, C, yeah. You're right. Yeah, the little tune, right? Um, and I, I've, I've talked to uh, my, my wife about this many times. But, you know, with kiddos, um, the thing they get first when they're in church is, is the tunes, right? Before they can understand the words... They know this is a church service because it's the tunes. As a matter of fact, I don't know, Grace isn't down here, but she'll say that if I play anything at, uh, at home that has an organ in it or something, she'll be, oh, that's church music, <laughs> right? But that's what they get. Um, so anyway, why we have a hymnal uh, is because we see these things as valuable. And it's not us, but rather a collection that's external and that we can actually confess these things but that our giving thanks through time uh, is a good and precious thing uh, and something we should do among ourselves in church. Um, and it's good to have a book where we give thanks to God. Um, yeah? The Oh, yes, yeah. In the German army today, they have, a, they have a song book. It's not a handbook, of course, it's secular. But they sing their way to service. The service in the military. I mean, it's everything. That's right, that's right. And we're blessed by that. All right, uh, so the back page. Right, so, so, so far, um, we have sh the shadow and the real thing. And then we have a daily service. And then the kinds of sacrifices are propitiatory or redeeming and thanksgiving. All right, so the back. Um, the delivery of justification in the service. First of all, what is justification? Yes, good. Um, and, and, it, and, and um, in what way? So you're right, it's being made right, but in what way? You're worthy of the gift. You're worthy, yeah. Did you say? Yes, right. Oh, that's true. That's what does it. That's what does it, yeah. And, and um, it's a... Going to... Justification is more of a court term. Um, so how do you know at the end of a court case if a person is innocent or guilty? Well, that, that's true. But who announces it? Yeah. He announces guilty or innocent, right? And by his hammer blow and by his announcing... You are guilty or innocent. Justification is a declaration that you are innocent, that you are clean. So you're right, and you're made right. You're made right. Uh, and so, uh, so God's word declares you righteous. And, and we should wonder at that, because are you righteous? If you, if, if you uh, reflect on yourself and what you've done, are you righteous? No. No. And yet God declares you so. And this is the joy of justification, is he applies not your righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So that when he says you are righteous, are you righteous now when he says it? You are! Because he says so. And he can say that because Jesus died for you. And that is then the wonder of justification. To be made righteous by the word of God is to be declared right for Jesus' sake. So now we're, we're, now we're talking about how it comes to you. What's the delivery? 
Um, in the Old Testament, faith in the promise of forgiveness through the coming Christ. In the New Testament, faith in the promise of forgiveness through Christ who has been revealed. So the difference is what? Yeah, right? In the Old Testament, the promise was yet to come. And so the, but were they saved by Jesus? Yes. yes. Right? They were saved by Christ just like we are. And so now in the New Testament, the difference is that he has been revealed to us. The shadows are now no longer a shadow, but the real thing. And we see Jesus. Um, okay. Uh, and here is the priesthood. Levitical high priest and the priesthood in the Old Testament. Okay, so you had to be from the tribe of Levi. And then you had to be chosen to do those things. In the New Testament service, Christ is the high priest and the ministry of the Spirit. Um, who are the priests in the New Testament? Christ is the high priest. But who are the priests? She said the ministers. What do you think? Ah, so uh, many times we would say it's the pastors. But that's not the case. See, the pastors are simply one of the other priests. Now, they fill an office that is unique to them. The office of the pastor is set apart. But the priesthood belongs to you. You are priests. Every one of you. You are the priesthood, and you are so because why? Why are you all priests? We are believers. Yes, you're believers. And what does that mean about you? What do you believe in? Christ. Yes. And so you have Jesus. And so you are a priest. Right? You are united to the priest. And being united to him, you are all priests. You're a kingdom of priests. Because we were chosen. Correct? That's right. Yeah. Because you now take part because Jesus has called you as a Christian. Okay, so uh, Christ is the high priest and the ministry of the Spirit. So the ministry of the Spirit in the New Testament, um, it's, it's different. How does the Spirit serve us? How does the Holy Spirit serve you? Yes. Good. In what way? How does he do it? Through the Word. Now, um, again, I, I hope you don't grow tired of, of that being the same answer. But, but it's a wonderful thing. And the reason we have to repeat it so much is the same reason why uh, in Hebrews he says, don't grow tired of hearing the word of God. Because why? Why do we have to hear it so much? Why do we have to hear that it's God's word that does it? Why do we have to hear that all the time? It's true and it's important. Well, it's true. Yes, that's right. And so we, we should love repeating it. That's, that's, that's the case. But why else do we really, really need it repeated? Because our flesh... Right? Yeah. Again, this is, uh, maybe if I bring up a really sore subject around this time, your diet, right? During Christmas time, <laughs> how well are you doing? <laughs> all, the, all the goodies all around, you know? And, uh, and how easy is it to eat healthy? It's not. It's really hard. And why? Why is it so hard? Yeah, you, it, it doesn't taste as good, right? All the other stuff tastes better. The cookies and the donuts and all this stuff, right? Um, so that then is a good relation to our flesh. Uh, we have to, again, tell ourselves again and again, okay, eat the carrot, not the cupcake, okay? <laughs> all right? Uh, eat the grapes, uh, you know, don't, uh, don't go for the cookies, right? So those then are... Uh, that, it's a good picture of the struggle we face. Now, of course, our struggle is much more evil. Um, but sin wants us to do that, right? Okay, uh, now, the nature of the service. So 
what do we expect? Now, in the Old Testament, what would you expect? If you're going to see the priest, you know, what, what, what are you expecting? Um, in the Old Testament, it's ceremonial service with ceremonial sacrifice. So you, go, you actually go into a big tent. You know, well, at the time, if you're in the 40 years wilderness, you're going into a tent. And even before David, or sorry, Solomon, builds the temple, you're still going into a big tent. Right? Uh, and so you enter. Now, you don't go, I'm sorry, you don't go into the tent. What you go into is a courtyard. Right? So you enter a courtyard, and what's in front of you is the altar. And then the priest comes from the other side. Because he does his duty in that tent. Uh, and as we see from Samuel, many times they slept in the tent and lived in that tent when they were on duty. And so they would come out and take your offering, slaughter the lamb on the side of the altar, take the blood so that they could sprinkle it, and then uh, make sure it's all chopped into the pieces it needs, right? So uh, you need the, uh, the kidneys or the fat. You take that up to the altar and burn that there. Uh, and then he would take the blood and sprinkle it on you and on, the, put it on the horns of the altar, go in and sprinkle it in the, in the holy place. And you would know all this stuff. Uh, you would see it all the time. Uh, and you would know it because your parents would talk to you about it. And you'd, and you'd know it that, okay, I need to bring a lamb here or a goat here, or I need to bring an ox, or I need to bring a turtle dove, or this is the sacrifice for this. It sounds really complicated. <laughs> but it wouldn't be for them. But that's the nature of their service. Ceremonial, and they would come and they would do this ceremony to receive the promise of God. What about our service? Uh, now, in the New Testament, the service of the heart and the sacrifices of the heart with spiritual service and spiritual sacrifices. Okay, what is... Real divine service. How do we um, worship God? How do you worship God? What is the truest way to worship God? Who said that? Yes! To believe in Him. That's real worship. That's the number one thing above everything else. Is truly to worship God is to believe in Him. To have faith. Now, of course, uh, we can't see everyone's hearts. But that faith, where does it come from? Where does faith come from? The word. The word. So then we come here so that our faith not only is created when we were children, but is also sustained. And that's why we can call it a divine service. Because we have the word of God proclaimed among us both by the pastor to us and by us back to the pastor. And we then are worshiping God because we have his word and we believe it. And both of them are necessary. But keep in mind, it's the service of the heart. This is not a ceremony in the sense that we come here and we do things and then that's divine service. Because you could come here all day and not worship God one bit if what? If you don't believe, if you came here and simply thought, well, you know, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and I'm going to go up to the altar, I'm going to do that, that, and that, and then, you know, that's enough. Uh, without any trust in Jesus, without any belief that he's going to help you or save you, if you do those things, that is not worship. And that's the difference. So, we know that now it's a service of the heart, that's worshiping God, um, but we have to be given faith. Okay, so I hope that sort of paints a picture. Uh, Old Testament, priesthood, uh, and the two different kinds of offerings. I think that's the best part. Um, offering for sin, and offering of thanksgiving. Right? And then those now are matched by uh, Jesus creating the church, us, the, dwelling, the new dwelling place of God, the temple, uh, created in our hearts by his word, which delivers the sacrifice of Jesus. So that's, that's the New Testament. Yes, sir, yeah. What would the people's um, participation in the ceremonial services and sacrifices? Did some of them 
Yes. Um, so the, the daily sacrifices would happen when they weren't there. Um, so the lamb in the morning and the evening. Um, and then uh, many of the... Although they would give the things for that. So um, they would give a tithe of their sheep or a tithe of their flour. Um, but yes, yeah, some of those things would happen when they were not there. Yeah. Um, but again, our participation is that uh, we... Uh, at, even, even in the Old Testament, Solomon would, would ask the Lord, if anyone prays towards this temple, hear them. Right? Um, so again, the things that are happening there are still for the sake of the people. And they, they are aware of it and they know it. Right? Um, okay. <clears throat> Any other questions about that? Um, so again, I, I wanted to bring out what the priests were doing. You know, we always talk about the gifts and the sacrifices. But this is what they were really doing. They, they were slaughtering animals for two reasons. Taking away sins or giving thanks to God. That, that's, what's, that's what's happening. All right, so back to it. Um, so we were in verse 3. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And now we've talked about those. Therefore it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. Verse 4, for if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. All right, so if Jesus was on earth, he would not be a priest. Why not? According to the law. Yeah, wrong tribe. He was from Judah. Now, of course, we, we, he just gave the argument. What, what is the order of his priesthood? Jesus? Melchizedek, Melchizedek right? There was a different order, okay? Um, so, so the law then is only a, in verse 5, a copy and shadow of heavenly things, right? Um, I, I, I like when I was reading through uh, uh, Professor Kleinick, who did this outline thing, uh, he had a great example. Uh, when you're in school, how do you learn to write well? You copy, yeah. So you have the, the, the letter in perfect form, and then you copy it. Now, uh, when you were in school, did you ever copy it perfectly? I, maybe eventually, maybe. But, but again, it was never quite as good as the one on the paper, right? Um, or a shadow. Right, and we've talked about the shadow. Um, to say that a shadow uh, is something or um, has its own... Uh, well, let, let's put it this way. What does a shadow depend on? Light, first of all, yes. And then what? An object, right? A light and an object. So you have to have both of those things. So we, we know now that the light is God and he most certainly established the Old Testament. But that was a shadow. Now the object of which it was, it was making a shadow of is who? His Jesus. And so we must see then that in the Old Testament it was a set up, it was a promise that received its fulfillment. Okay. Um, and, and again, sometimes we talk about these things so often we forget what they are. Um, What, what things bring you the most joy in your life, typically? What things bring you joy? Maybe not the most. Let's just say joy or happiness. My grandkids. Yes, that's one of the big ones, right? Family, grandkids. What else? What else brings you joy? Smoke sausage. <laughs> Smoke sausage. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, food does bring us joy, doesn't it? I mean, it, it's not. Nice. God talks about feasts all the time. Yeah. In the hospital, I look forward to my morning smoke. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Good. It's so. It's so true. And, and we sort of have that vision, right? Uh, whenever we have a really good meal, and we want to, you know, uh, Christmas is good at that, bringing conjuring images in our minds of all the yummy stuff. Yeah. So food that, that could be a joy. What else are joys we have? 
Anything else that brings you joy? Yeah, yeah, that, that's the great part too. Christmas season is good for that. To, you know, cards get sent around. People you haven't seen in a while. Maybe they make you feel guilty. Oh, all right, now I've got to write a card back. Right? <laughs> or, or people you haven't thought of in a long time. You know, you're like, oh boy. Now they're going to expect a card from me. <laughs> yeah. It's either all those together. We have smoked sausage. We have visits from friends. We have family. And what is... Unique and beautiful about Christmas is the family of God. We are sons and daughters of God, and our 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 heir, the one we're heir to, whose kingdom we're heir to, is Christ. That's all. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, so here we have uh, not those things are, if if we could speak in this way, are shadows, yeah. right? Um, and and they only are the beginning of the expression of the heavenly joy we have, um, because when will we have the, the, the real thing of the, joy, the joys we have in this life? When will we have the real thing of those joys? In heaven! There will be heavenly joy! Because what's the thing that always affects our joy here? Sin, right? It taints it all. And it even makes us stumble and fall, because... We prefer the joys of this life as opposed to the joys of God. And we even compare them. As opposed to receiving them in Christ, we would rather have them all to our own, right? And just leave Christ out of it, right? Uh, gosh, you know, wouldn't Christmas Day be great if we weren't bothered by going to church? <laughs> um, and yet we have to dispel those things, right? Um, because the, the heaven, we really do have some a joy a peace, a confidence that passes understanding, a heavenly joy. Uh, and that's what uh, the, this author of Hebrews is expressing to us, that, hey, this stuff was great. The Old Testament was fantastic, like smoked sausage and visits from friends and, and having great things with family. This was fantastic. And if that was good, can you... Can you then see why it's so wonderful to have Christ? Because that's even better. That's the pinnacle of all those things. And, and if those were joyous, this is above joy, beyond joy. Right? Um, First Peter, one, in one of my favorite passages, says, We rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. Why? Because we have Christ. This is the, great, it's the greatest part of all these things. And, and again, going back to, okay, we hear some of this stuff. Okay, Jesus died for my sins. Great, great, okay. But now go back to verse 1. This is what we have. So when he explains this stuff, it's what you have. It's yours. It's a gift. And it's, it's joyous. Okay, uh, so uh, when Moses received this stuff, again, we... It's hard to imagine, but Moses going up on the mountain and this cloud that is absolutely terrifying and yet at the same time invokes in, in you wonder that God is there and there's lightnings and there's fire and Moses, the crazy man that he is, walks into the cloud. And, 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 and in that cloud, he gets the tabernacle and the sacrifices and what a glorious thing. Now, where do we see the cloud in the New Testament? There's two places in the Gospel of Jesus where we see the cloud. Yes, and there's one more. Yeah, it's baptism, right? Um, so we have both of these things. The heavens are torn open, right? But then also at the transfiguration... Uh, and what, is, what does the Father tell them when the cloud comes down? And the transfiguration, sorry. What does the Father say? This is my son, listen to him. This is my son, listen to him. Ah, this is what Hebrews is saying. What you had in the Old Testament now has been surpassed. God has come in the form of Jesus. Now pay attention, this is the prophet. As a matter of fact, we had this prophecy today in Deuteronomy 18. 
a prophet like Moses, and yet better. Because he brings a better promise. Okay, um, so again, the vision of, of Moses on the mountain is, he's explaining these heavenly things, uh, things that angels long to look into. Okay, in verse, uh, verse 6, but now he, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also a mediator of a better covenant, which, which was established on better promises. So again, I think maybe to leave you with that picture of, of Moses on the mountain and Jesus on the mountain, uh, that is the promise given, the promise fulfilled. Right? Um, so we'll, we'll get to the, the rest of it next time um, where we get the new covenant. Uh, but I, I hope that can, uh, can fill you with some joy as you enter the most busy time for some uh, and maybe, maybe the most sad time for some as they think of uh, ones that are not with them, um, and yet we are with them in spirit, in the sense that they are in Christ, and so are we. So may that give you joy. Uh, your heavenly priest is with you, and may he bring you joy. Uh, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have given us Jesus Christ. We have him as our high priest. And he continues to give his offering of his death to you for our sake. Help us to trust in you. Help us to receive the joy of heaven by the hand of your son. And especially help us this week as we look forward to celebrating once again that Jesus, your son, came for us. And this child, born to be a sacrifice, was for our sake. Amen.